the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. About 95% of anybody who's been through a public school education in the last 30 years has been where the Bible isn't authoritative. They don't even know the Bible. The Bible's irrelevant to them. You have to have many, many, many tools in your toolkit, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. If, if your only tool is a hammer, pretty soon everybody looks like a nail. And so what we have here is what some call the story of reality. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be hearing a message from a sermon series that Pastor Keith has entitled, Proclaim to the End of the Earth. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Therefore, go into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all I've commanded you. For lo, I am with you. Sound familiar? Even to the end of the age. Thus says the Lord, Christ came up and said, Go, act, serve, obey. The hallmark of a professing Christian. Be one, right? We talked about this before. Be one, bring one, build one. Be a real Christian. How? Go make disciples. Bring one to faith in Christ. That's what evangelism is all about. Baptizing them, again, being one. Teaching them to do all I've commanded, building one. This is what we're about. This is what Hillside's about. This is what every Christian's about. Changing the world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. This is our mission collectively, individually. It's your mission. It's my mission. It's our mission. As we begin this new year, we need to take stock of our mission. We need to reorient our efforts and our activities around our mission. And so last week, I promised to give you four steps, and we got through two of them. Let's review a little bit. Step one to getting back on track, if, you're, if you've lost your way, is to declutter, 
to remove everything that obscures your view of God, everything that hinders your relationship with God. We see the warning to declutter in Jesus' words to Mary, excuse me, to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things. Sometimes that's us. The Lord challenged her mercifully, peacefully. He challenged the people of Israel in the same way in Haggai's time. You look at verses 2 and 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say it is not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Is it time for you to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruins? Of course, the answer is no. And so he tells them and he tells us to consider our ways. You see, we have to reconsider our ways. You know, Jesus said, if anything causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. Even if it's a body part. Anything that gets between you and God can become an idol. It may seem urgent at the time, but you know what? Urgent and important, two different things. The urgent things, the ringing telephone. The important thing, time alone with God, time alone with family, discipleship. We never have enough time. Well, actually, we have plenty of time. We just have it, the landscape cluttered and obscured to the point that we can't see the forest for the trees. And so we have to winnow away, thin out, the clutter. What does that take? Well, that's our second step last week, right? We have to refocus. We have to recalibrate. We have to decide, to determine, to take steps to reorient our attention on the one needful thing, like Mary, the one thing that will never be taken away from us. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 10, 42, one thing is necessary one thing but one thing is necessary and that is doing what God asks us to do that is worshiping God with our lives committing our ways to him and sometimes as Christians as Christ followers we have to regain we have to regrasp if that's such a word our purpose our understanding of what is really important like he said to Haggai consider your ways when we were saved God began to build a foundation in our lives to involve us in his kingdom work. And like the people of Israel in Haggai's time, we may not have built on that foundation. That foundation may have sat desolate or idle for, in Haggai's case, in that time, 16 16 to 18 years. How long have you been a Christian? You know, sometimes we sow much and harvest little and we eat, but we're never quite satisfied. And we live, we live in a time of unparalleled prosperity. We live in the richest, greatest country in the world. And we're not quite at peace. Peace isn't to be found. Why? Because maybe we've built our own panel houses and the temple of our soul lies desolate. There are activities and distractions in this life that seem urgent, But eternally speaking, they are unimportant. And so we have to declutter. We have to to refocus. I think of someone taking a long trip. And uh, he's getting the car ready. And you know, you have the proverbial bug on the windshield. Right in the middle of the windshield. Right below the rearview mirror. And all you can do is see that. And so that thing's been baked on there for a couple of years and so you're going to take this trip and you spend all the all your time trying to get that bug off the windshield and you don't check your tires and you don't change your oil consider your ways urgent important it's the same thing here god has put a call on your life and mine 
and we have to consider our ways. We have to refocus. Which brings us to today's sermon. And that is step three. Step three, no surprise, it follows logically. Declutter, refocus. Once you see clearly, prioritize. Prioritize. Resolve to make and keep the main thing the main thing. Be one so you can bring one to faith in Christ. That's what Jesus was talking about. One thing is necessary. Faithfulness to God. And God has called his people to be faithful through evangelism. First and foremost, everything starts with evangelism. You can't disciple somebody. You can't baptize somebody before they know Christ. That's the order of things. And so consider your ways and commit and get after it. Haggai 1.14 says, And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord. That's what we need to do. We need to work on his kingdom. You know, he's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But he uses people like us to build the church. And so we have to consider our ways. We have to make God, Christ, the God of the Bible, the mission and the calling with which we've been called, we have to make it the priority. Everything else is window dressing. That's why we're here. We exist to proclaim the gospel. It's the most important thing we do. Let me read you a quote from a pastor long, long ago. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. and, And here's the thing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a major league evangelist. He was criticized a lot for being a five point Calvinist. People say, well, Calvinists really don't believe in evangelism. Let me, I want you, I want to, I want you to listen to this quote. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. I'll tell you what, if I could talk like that, I'd be famous, I'll tell you. Spurgeon has a way with words because God was his God and his heart was for the lost and his heart was for his word. If sinners be damned, let them at least leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Prioritize. Consider your ways and go. Make disciples. Proclaim the gospel. Which brings us to step four, which I'll spend most of our time on today. Step four is this. Clarify. Clarify. Now what do I mean by this? Make sure you know and understand what the gospel is. Make sure you know and understand the story of God. His story. Some call it history. Be able to tell the whole gospel. We live in an era, we're living in a post-Christian era and the way that we used to do it 20 and 30 years ago, 10 years ago, 
you know, a lot of people came to Christ through the four spiritual laws and people often begin with, Jesus, God has a wonderful plan for your life. No, he doesn't. Because if you reject him, I don't think you will find hell very wonderful. And so people say, well, God, Jesus, who are they? Because we're living in a post-Christian era. 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, people had a, we were living in a Judeo-Christian society that had, even if they weren't believers, some understanding of the Bible. They don't. I remember years ago going through some training where they told me you have to get them lost before you can get them saved. So you start out with the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, have you ever ever stolen anything? Yeah, well, it says in the Bible, you shall not steal. That makes you a thief. You probably need God. Well, I don't think I'm that bad. Well, you ever told a lie? Yeah, well, you shall not bear false witness. I mean, you you walk them through the Ten Commandments and the conviction is going to fall on them unless they're postmoderns which about 95% of anybody who's been through a public school education in the last 30 years has been, where the Bible isn't authoritative. They don't even know the Bible. The Bible's irrelevant to them. And so you have to go back to the beginning. You have to have many, many, many tools in your toolkit, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. If your only tool is a hammer, pretty soon everybody looks like a nail. And so what we have here is what some call the story of reality. And I will commend a book to you by Greg Kukul by the same name, The Story of Reality. In fact, we're going to be teaching that story. We're going to probably ask pretty much all the small groups, all the ABFs, and everybody to go through this book uh, in the coming year. But let me give you a very, very brief version of that. Start with God in the Bible. Everything starts with God. It doesn't start with Jesus. It starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that's here was made by God for God. There's a purpose for it. It's not here by accident. And if God made it, it belongs to him. And everything and everyone that he made is accountable to him. How do we know that? The Bible, God's self-revelation of himself. You can't know God apart from the Bible. Nature can't get you saved. Staring at Niagara Falls won't make you believe in the God of the Bible. It might make you believe in a God, but there are so many gods out there, we have to look to the Bible. Why? Because Proverbs 35 and 6 tells us that every word of God is true and tested. Do not add to his word or take away from it, lest he rebuke you and you be considered or called a liar. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful, right, for doctrine, for teaching, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God might be adequate and equipped for every good work. God and the Bible, it all begins there. The Bible tells us who God is, how God is, who we are, why we're here. And we look to the Bible. Which brings us to man and sin. Humanity and sin. God created man in his own image and his own likeness. Talks about that in Genesis. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. 29 and 30. He made man. Everything that God made was good. He put man in the garden. We read about that in Genesis 2. And told him to take care of everything and to trust him. And he would provide for him. Everything was man's to use, to employ, to enjoy. Except the one thing that belonged to God. And he was to keep his hands off of it. And so the first man and the first woman worked in the garden. And one day, you know, we always talk about a guy's got to follow his gut. And then we talk about women's intuition. 
The first example of women's intuition and a guy following his gut is in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Eve looked at the fruit, determined it looked good to her. Her intuition told her it was good for food to make one wise. She took and she ate of it. And and the man, he was with her. His gut told him, yeah, okay, I'll take and eat too. And as Romans 5.12 tells us, sin and death entered the world through one man and spread to all people because all sinned. Man created an image and likeness of God for God, to serve God, to love God, to trust God, rebelled against God. And this is the mess we're in today. Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When a baby is born, that baby is corrupted. And as soon as that baby is able, that baby will rebel the first chance it gets. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seek for God. Which puts us in a pretty bad place because the Bible tells us also in Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins will die, will perish. Wages of sin is death. So that brings us to salvation, Savior. We can't save ourselves. We're stuck in quicksand. And the more we struggle, the quicker we sink. And so somebody outside of us has to rescue us. Right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the good news of great joy which is for all people that unto us was born a savior and that savior was Jesus Christ. There's only one savior. There's only one savior for the little shepherd in Kathmandu on the side of a mountain. There's only one shepherd for the tribal people. Only one savior for the people in the the depths of the Amazon jungle or the wilds of New Guinea or wherever they are. Acts 4.12 tells us there is only one name given among men under heaven by which you can be saved. And that's Jesus Christ. The Savior who brought us salvation. That God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our account that we might become the righteousness of God. And that to all who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Not because of their bloodline, not because of the will of their flesh or the will of their parents, but because of the will of God. Which brings us to the Savior's return and justice. We live in a broken, fallen world. We talk about, well, if God is so loving, why is there so much suffering? Because he's loving The suffering reminds us that we need to look up, just like the frustration that was faced by the people of Israel told them something was the matter. When you have angina, when you have heart trouble, you get chest pains and that tells you to see a doctor. When you look at this world and all of the heartbreak and confusion, you know you need help. And that means you look to God. And Jesus is returning. He came once as the Savior. He died in our place for our sins so that we might have eternal life. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay. He allowed himself to be crucified, dead and buried. He rose from the grave on the third day. He ascended into heaven. We read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. His commission, his last words before he left. And now he's going to return, except this time he's not coming. He's not coming as a savior. This time he's coming as a judge. We read about everyone who's 
you know, the great white throne judgment. We'll get into this in Revelation that, you know, everybody small and great will stand before him. And those names whose, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire to be consciously tormented forever and ever with the devil, the beast, and the, anti- and the uh, false prophet. There are costs associated with sin. And nobody escapes justice. And that's why we have justice and return. He's going to return to judge the world. And those who have rejected his forgiveness, those who have pushed away the free gift of eternal life, will be cast out. And those who have received him will have every tear wiped away, every heartbreak healed. Which brings us to the last part of that. I call it commission and fog. It's this. You've been given the great commission. Like Spurgeon said, people are perishing and don't let them go without grabbing them by the knees and trying to talk to them. Everybody that we pass on the street every day is headed for one of two places when they die, heaven or hell. And I'd say about 90% aren't going to make it into heaven, humanly speaking. But God has given us a mission, just like he gave the people in Haggai's time a mission. And our mission is to be faithful to that calling, to tell people, to tell people about God. Now, we are in the fog. What does that mean? We're in the in-between time between the resurrection and the return. And we're caught up in a broken world and we sometimes become confused and distracted. And we get wrapped up in urgent things like the details of life, like, like Martha, you know, anxious and confused and distracted by much serving. And we can't see the end. We know it's coming. We know there's light at the end of the tunnel, but sometimes we can't see it. And our job is to cling to what is true. Our job description is very, very simple. We cannot be distracted by the fog of war, the fog of this society. We have one simple purpose. It's to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to be a real Christian who tries to bring others to Christ. And that's what we're going to be talking to you about for the next four weeks after this message. And in two weeks, I'm going to talk about what that looks like. How you, I'm going to give you an approach, uh, kind of a how-to scenario, somewhat of one for our, our 21st century culture. But in the meantime, let's be clear on why we're here as a church. We work for the Savior. We toil and labor in his field. And the field is white with harvest, but the workers are few. And you and I, with all of our weaknesses, have been called to serve this God, whom the angel said, for with God... Nothing is impossible. He can take common, everyday people like you and me and do very uncommon, world-changing things through us if we allow him to, if we accept the call, the challenge, to go and to make disciples of all the nations, of all people, bringing them the good news of great joy. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you to do for us what you did for the people in Haggai's time. You stirred up their hearts to complete the work that you had called them to, Father.
You've given virtually every one of us here the same calling. Father, you've given this church, all churches, all Bible teaching churches everywhere, the same calling. Lord, kindle afresh the flame within us, Lord, that we would serve you, Father, deliberately, passionately, joyfully, Lord, to go and to build on the foundation that you have already laid in our souls, the foundation of the gospel, to get the story straight, Father, and to proclaim it, to proclaim it, Father, to anyone who will listen. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Amen.